0: Welcome to Silverbacks Valley, a podcast brought to you by Silverbacks Holdings. Today in the Valley with Ibrahim Sanya is a woman who dominated on the basketball court for the University of Nevada and her home country Cameroon before switching her jersey for a suit and paving her way in the corporate world. She served as executive director for Invest Africa, an organization working towards the stimulation of investment towards African economic growth. Now, she is forging her own path as the founder of Tessa, an Africa-first sports business platform directed at enabling Africans to maintain ownership over an increasingly attractive sports industry. Today, the Valley welcomes Sandrine Nzoku. Disclaimer. Silverback's Valley's host and the guest of this program may hold assets discussed in this episode. This podcast should not be taken as investment advice and is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only.
1: Welcome to Silverback's Valley. I'm your host today and my name is Ibrahim Sanya. This episode is powered by Afro Bowlers. Afro Bowlers is the largest digital platform curating stories of African athletes creating values in sports industry on and off the court. Afro Bowlers collaborates frequently with major sports leagues and major sport personalities of African descent. It services an audience of over 100,000 followers. We at Silverbacks Valley are big fans. Hello Sandrine, greetings. Where are you calling us from?
2: Currently, I'm in Tucson, Arizona. Um, it's the it's a, effectively my American hometown. It's where I transitioned. Um, I was born in Yaoundé, moved here when I was about five years old. So um, it's nice to be here. It's, it's home, at least in the states.
1: Well, I uh, I recall uh, mm-hmm. when I set saw, set foot in the U.S. Uh, maybe 34 years back. Was just the stark, uh, difference that existed between the perception Americans had about Africa and my own knowledge of Mm -hmm. the continent. I remember making some good friends, Mm -hmm. playing on some courts and then people being like, do you guys have courts in Africa? Do you guys have (laughs) stadiums? Uh, but I'm curious to know how was your own transition? coming into, uh, America and, uh, being Eddie Murphy. (laughs)
2: Um, it was, I think like many immigrants experience, it was quite a culture shock. Uh, I came when I was very young though. I came when I was about five years old and, um, I, Kids at that age are, are way more adaptable and malleable. So I think it was much harder on my parents to be able to adjust uh, to the cultural differences that they themselves were just learning about. Uh, but it was, um, you know, an incredible opportunity that my family was afforded. Um, and it was it was a transition. It was a transition, let's say that. <laughs> and still is, to wow. be honest. But you used
1: to, you you actually started Quite early in the sports arena, your own father was into sports. Uh-huh. So tell uh-huh. me a bit, how did that, that uh, belonging to the sports world from your dad, uh, fit intervene or participate at all in forms of helping you adjust, helping you belong, helping you uh, penetrate, uh-huh. uh, the American uh, world stage?
2: Yeah, I I believe, I really credit the game of basketball and my exposure to sports to the person that I am. Um, you don't need to speak the same language to play a sport with somebody and to be on the same team as them. Uh, there's an understanding that you are afforded um, a dynamic where you understand that you're on the same team, you all have the same goal. And so... My father, through his experience, being the captain of the Cameroon national team during his playing years, um, he understood that sports in and of itself is really a microcosm of life. And it's a really great tool to be able to teach young people about how life works, about how to persevere, discipline, all of those soft skills that you that are transferable to really anything that you do throughout life. And so growing up, we played soccer. We played um you know, basketball. We did gymnastics. I did gymnastics until I got too tall for the uneven bars. <laughs> so, so he put us in all of the sports, wanted to make sure to expose us because there there's very few other, um, tools and resources like that, that really force you to learn about yourself, learn about others. Um, And you know, also learn about just the way that life works.
1: There's a book called Range, R-A-N-G-E. Range basically pushes Mm -hmm. the belief that the broader your mind is, expand the more scope of different type of exercise your body is exposed to, the more capacity Mm -hmm. you have. So, do you feel in any form the fact that you did? Uh, some basketball all the way to playing with the national team, uh, facing Olympics mm-hmm. c- competition, but also volleyball and other mm-hmm. forms of sport did uh contribute to make you fundamentally a better athlete.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And also fundamentally a better person. I believe that uh, the more that I'm also learning about um, just our physiology as humans and what we need to be able to sustain even just proper mental health, um, which really is at the core of anything that you're looking to do, exercise is a critical component of that. Uh, when we exercise our muscles, our muscles secrete, you know, hormones that um, and chemicals that really allow us to not only strengthen against immunity, but also it helps to strengthen our neurological functions and it keeps us um, it's called, it's a concept called neuroplasticity. So, your ability to be able to um, adjust and, um, you know, accept and receive new concepts. And so, it's, it's interesting because as I have transitioned as, you know, from being, from playing, gosh, maybe 40 hours a week, um, transitioning from that perspective of being incredibly athletic to even in the, the work world, understanding that being physical, is such a, still a key component of the way that I show up even in business, because if I am not, um, exercising my body, if I'm not giving myself what I need at that foundational level, I can't possibly show up in the best form of myself in really any area of my life, but certainly, certainly in business, um, which, you know, under the society, it's inherently competitive. So you have to prepare in the, in those same ways.
1: Uh, you know, I always raise, uh, to, to people, uh, the fact that sports is really the ultimate mm-hmm. home of execution, uh, delivery results. And, uh, years after years, decade after decades, the business world has learned to, mm-hmm. to borrow, imitate mm-hmm. and then adapt. So in light of all of that, tell us about your own transition from the competitive world of sports to the competitive world of business?
2: To be quite honest, um, it was quite seamless uh, because being afforded the opportunity to even transition from high school basketball to college basketball and then professional and playing for um, several teams professionally, you are transitioning into entirely new cultures, entirely new teams. In which you are forced to be able to quickly understand, um, adapt, and also um, a key, I think, skill that a lot of people take for granted is coachability. And so, also understanding that you're taking, you know, um, leadership and you're taking direction from different people and even different people within within your team on the same peer level, but certainly also from a coaching perspective. And so. Um, transitioning into the business world I was really afforded um, a lot of those skills I really had um, really developed those skills fully in order for me to be able to apply them and quickly transition into positions of leadership positions also of um, you know teamwork to be able to show up as the best teammate as i as I possibly could but then also it's the drive and the competitiveness at the end of the day I want to win and um being able to not only understand how to operate within a team for the for the purpose of winning but also being being able to lead myself um and understanding what the ways in which i need to uh, apply discipline to the ways that i'm operating so that i can show up as the per- best version of myself um and you know for those wins but then also you know being able to learn from the losses um, as well. So it's, it's been, it's been a journey, but it's been quite um, the things that I've learned from sports have been absolutely critical um, to, to my development. Well,
1: we just asked International Women Month. Do you feel personally that uh, within the world of sport business, you encounter the right measure of fairness and equity?
2: absolutely not. <laughs> I don't know how much more direct I could possibly be. Um and it's a problem that I that permeates so many different industries. Uh but particularly in sports it is a massive problem and um uh, sports on the athletic side I mean it's really also great that we're having this conversation on the heels of the LSU and Iowa State game which was, you know, the most watched uh college sports events of the NCAA ever of any discipline. Um, And for years and years, we know the narrative that that has been shared about people don't watch women's basketball, it's not interesting, it's not exciting. And, you know, those two teams proved everyone wrong in this entire kind of post-conference season proved everyone wrong. Um, And so it's important to understand that there's tremendous value um, in the differences between men and women but that there's still um but that there's still inherent value and that that value is the same and can be and can and should be nurtured the same um, not only from the athletic side but also from the business side uh I think it's it's incredibly important I think a lot and even part of the reasons why you know I'm excited to be here today and to be speaking with you, I think first and foremost, ownership is a critical part of the evolution I see of the African sports business industry. And I think it's incredibly important for Africans to have ownership, but I think it's also incredibly important for women to have ownership within, um, across assets, across the industry, because we make decisions differently. Um, we To be able to have that diversity, it's been shown time and time again that your business is actually more defensible when you do have um, you know diversity of thought and diversity of experience, um, and so and of course it's there's a number of women who support the industry um, in and of itself, and so to have that representation is is incredibly important for just the sustainability of the industry as a whole. Um, and so it's the, we have a long way to go. we have a long way to go, and I think that we can learn quite on quite honestly from western societies um and learn from some of the things certainly take the best practices but learn from some of the mistakes that they have made specific to diversity um, equity and inclusion uh, and not incorporating enough women at the leadership level you know with significant enough decision-making power for them to be able to influence and contribute to uh, the way that the industry develops because again it's it's what is going to make it um, sustainable and defensible long term.
1: Okay, so the mountain to climb is still tall, but climbing is mm-hmm. happening.
2: Climbing is happening little by little. Um, there's a lot more work that we that we need to do, uh, so, but I do I do see the likes of NBA Africa, you know, BAL, the efforts that they are putting behind making sure to place. Uh, this initiative at the forefront is has been really really exciting to see, and that's really important, especially as these as the industry is growing. To have those conversations, not only with the women um, and the young girls, but the way that um, you know BAL leadership, the NBA Africa leadership, has been intentional about having these conversations, and even Maasai with Giants of Africa, having these conversations with the young boys to tell them how important it is to value women, to protect women and to make sure that they are seeing them not only you know as um, as objects but as human beings that can contribute and have a lot to offer uh, is is really really exciting to see and that's that's important work
1: let's focus on your country cameroon so clearly you guys mm-hmm. are obviously have always been uh, the other lions giving headaches to senegal my home country <laughs> we're, we're both competing as to Who's the adequate lion? But in terms of basketball, mm-hmm. clearly Cameroon is uh, leading the way. Joel, Pascal, mm-hmm. and before that, Noah. So clearly there's there's a trend. Luke M- M- Yes. So clearly mm-hmm. uh, Cameroon is really at the forefront. Where do you think this trend is emanating from?
2: It's. I've thought about this a lot. And I can't even say that I have a definitive answer. I think it's I do also think that it's it's bizarre how much incredible world class talent, specifically in basketball, um comes from Cameroon. I will say that there is an intentionality that I think is really impressive when you see um you know the likes of Luke Bamute coming up, and then he reaches back and is able to really steward. Pascal into the league, Stuart Joel into the league and taking ownership and full ownership over bringing these, this talent into these spaces. Um, because I think part of what a lot of people don't realize is that also, uh, you certainly have to be, have the talent to, um, transition into the NBA, but a lot of it is politics as well. And so, to be able to have a sponsor who understands your culture, who understands your capability, to be able to really link arms and bring you up with them. I've seen um, Cameroon players do that in a way that is uh, quite intentional. And the results, you know, the results show for it. But there's a long way to go. And there is so much more talent that is that exists in Cameroon that is left to be unlocked. Um, you know, and I'm hoping that from a governance perspective, that more of that that talent can be nurtured. And so that it's not you know, solely the responsibility of a, of a select few to be able to bring people, to bring this talent along.
1: Success, spectacular. Now, it's definitely spectacular to watch and witness. And obviously, uh, we need to discuss Tessa. So tell us, how did you come about uh, in terms of inspiration and uh, where do you want to take it?
2: I. I was afforded the honor to be able to represent my country of Cameroon twice, um, in 2011 and in 2015. And what was shocking to me when I went back home and had the you know was playing alongside my teammates was how many of them were better, much better than I was, and how little they were afforded in terms of opportunities. I, you know, got my education paid for. I was able to travel across Europe um, you know, and get paid to play basketball. And my teammates simply just did not have access to the same opportunities solely because they exist in a country where the infrastructure, um, isn't sound yet in terms of the, you know, the pathway for, for basketball. And so I felt really strongly, to be honest, actually in the, (laughs) in the championship game, my last game I ever played was against Senegal in, 2015 when, I mean, an incredible, incredible team when we lost to them in the championship game. But I remember actively thinking about how I felt that I needed to do something. I felt a great sense of duty um, to my teammates to be able to uh, try to create more opportunities for people that would follow us Um, because the talent is just, to me, it just didn't seem fair. Um, And so that was the, the first seed I would say that really was planted in my in my heart in order to uh, start thinking through how I wanted to contribute to, you know, the African sports industry as a whole. Um, and it wasn't until 2021 when I was able to take a step back from my role at Invest Africa U.S., where I was helping to really support the investment community in their um, investments across the African continent, across a number of um, sectors. It wasn't until then that I had uh, I wanted to really divert my focus back to the sports industry, back to where I felt like I I I owed it. I really owed it to to the game, really owed it to my country and to the continent um to be able to take the expertise that I had and the network that I had to contribute um in a way that it was meaningful for for young girls. Um and so that was really the genesis that was the genesis of it. I also in 2021, had the opportunity to go to Kigali and I was invited to come and see what the first BAL was like. And while it was, I was so impressed by the production level, by the play, uh, I also saw, you know, the gaps that exist within the industry as a whole. And it made me think a lot about what needs to happen to even be able to support an asset like the BAL. And all of the components that are necessary. Um, And so it was after that um, experience being able to take a step back and say, you know, where can I fit in? How can I support in a way that is meaningful? Um, And especially as, you know, an American coming back into, you know, the continent where I'm from, how do I do so in a way that also elevates the incredible work that's already being done? Being very humble to understand, I don't know what I don't know, and that there's luminaries on the content that have been doing this work on the ground for years. How do I contribute to their work as much as I possibly can? Um, so that's really that's really where it started, and you know, have just been on the mission since.
1: So the plans going forward
2: for Tesla right now, we're actually making a significant shift. So when we originally entered into the market, we were focused more on advisory. And um, consultancy, and what we realize is that the natural gap that exists uh, right now is that the information about the sports business community is really um, it's sparse, and so to be able to build a platform that is able to aggregate these stories, um, so that they are number one, you know, African led. We need Africans to be able to tell African stories. Um, but also being able to to have one defined way or place for, um, to your point, for sponsors, for the private sector, but also for the public sector to be able to understand and to be educated on what is happening and how you can leverage sports for the benefit of you know economic development. There's a lot of education that's needed across these different groups uh, because I, you know, certainly you know this, but Sports right now, far too often is seen as a civic endeavor in Africa, and people don't quite understand the economic opportunity that is there. And because we don't understand, um, there's a number of foreign investors that understand that will take advantage of that, to be quite honest. Um, And so it's incredibly important that we are scaling up education around the business of the sport quite quickly. Um, so that we can ensure that Africans maintain ownership of the industry as it evolves.
1: I count on you to, to further educate our colleagues, stakeholders, mm-hmm. friends in the African continent. Because every day, uh, every day I wake up, it's, it's always curious to see what others don't see. The the mm-hmm. issue with uh, sharing knowledge is that you have to enlighten others, but not blind them. So it's that yeah. that dosage dosage of and that approach of uh, understanding that where you coming from and where the other stands. There's usually mm-hmm. a very sensitive bridge to be traveled. At the same time, mm-hmm. there is competition, as you're saying. The foreign entities, they understand that the ultimate valuable raw material the African continent always had and will always have is not what sits mm-hmm. under the ground. It's what stands on the ground, which are, which is our human right. capital, which is what has contributed to a lot of construction here in the U.S. where uh, we've uh, both grown up and, uh, Post that jurisdiction today, whether it is in terms of creativity found in music, sports, entertainment, and even to an extent, as a friend of mine was reminding me, we even, uh, provided an American president most recently. Africa continues, mm-hmm. continues to contribute. <laughs> but, yes. But it's clear, Absolutely. But, but clearly, <laughs> But clearly, uh, we're still not uh, good artisans at uh, capturing the benefits back home. So, this is a journey mm-hmm. of uh, finding a, a robust system to to capture the, the value is is a long journey, and I'm glad to see that uh, we can count you at the forefront of this war.
2: Mm-hmm. That's it's important. It's extremely important. And, uh, we're co-founders, right? Africa is a co-founder in the United States of America. It's co-founders in, um, a lot of Western society. And, uh, it is, it is so important that we are receiving the economic value for the value that we create. Uh, it has to shift and particularly within our borders, we, it's, it's critically important that we own, um, we own our assets, um, just as, the U.S. or France or Germany owns their assets um, in their own countries.
1: Well, talking about ownership, just a few days back, there was a boardroom that announced that uh, now uh, NBA and WNBA players will be able to own teams and uh, various ongoing franchises. So Mm -hmm. that should help in the direction you you allude to. That's been a long time coming. Mm -hmm.
2: Yes, it's been fascinating. And interestingly enough, that is um one of our top initiatives. Team ownership is one of our top initiatives at um at TESA in terms of wanting to educate people about that. And certainly you you are very familiar with team ownership um and owning the the Tigers. Uh but there team ownership as an alternative asset class is incredible. And we've had the opportunity to be partnered um, with a sports investment bank in New York that has been doing sports team ownership transactions for the past 40 years. And what they have been talking about, what they've been seeing is how important it is for diversity to start to permeate within ownership groups. It's an asset class that is um, almost there's almost no risk involved it, and it's strange to also say that um but the amount of value that comes from owning a team um whether that be in the n b a uh or any you know across a number of leagues, it's a space that African people have to and African investment firms um African governments too, because as you know as we know sovereign wealth funds can invest in sports teams as well it's an asset class that we not only should start to consider, but that we, in my, our viewpoint, that we have to participate in. And so, in my viewpoint, outside of the African continent, the largest opportunity for, um, you know, African investors is to invest in sports teams. Um, and with the climate now of people having more conversations around diversity, um, it's the, it's time. Uh, so it's about, educating us ourselves as much as possible. And we're seeing Carmelo Anthony just came out with his, you know, sports team ownership fund. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, And it's only going to grow. So it's needed. I think far too little people understand um, and investors understand that within sports team ownership, you also are essentially buying membership into a club that, um, you can't otherwise get access to. And so from a business and strategic perspective, there's a lot of transactions that happen within ownership groups. Um, and so to be able to start to look at sports teams as also avenues and tools to be able to get other initiatives done, we have a number of things that we have to get done across the continent. But if we can start to also look at sports ownership team as getting us, as buying us the seat at some of these tables to have um, conversations about some of the other Kind of foundational um, you know foundational changes and developments that we're trying to make is something that I think is really important for us to understand so not only are we making money but we're also leveraging the opportunity to um, you know create advancement in in a number of other industries
1: could not agree more could not agree more. Mm-hmm. you and I will be taking the flag and basically yes. you will have the stick and you would, uh, you you will be in the front opening the ocean.
2: <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I'll all do right, my we... best Moses impression. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I trust you'll be you'll be a great Moses. I'm standing right behind <laughs> you. Uh,
2: we look forward to having
1: many uh, moments of intersection in our journey.
2: Thank you so much. Um, I certainly see the work that you all are doing. It's incredible. It's important work. People are watching you and um, and people are following. And I think that you are setting an incredible example um, and, and you know carving a path for others to follow, which is you can't be what you can't see. And so it's, it's, I've been really, really um, inspired by the work that you're doing. So congratulations. And I'm excited to be able to continue to contribute and link arms as much as we possibly
0: can.
1: Thank you so very much, Sandrine.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Silverbacks Valley. If you want to hear from people who are building dominant platforms from Africa to the rest of the world, you can follow Silverbacks Valley on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Anjami, and AudioMac. Tune in.